Hello folks, welcome to India to Germany. I am your host Paras Mehta and today's episode is about an important aspect of living in Germany, which is school education. Today I'll be speaking with James Brennan, deputy head of the International Montessori School located in the Wannsee area of Berlin, about Montessori education in Germany. Welcome James, thank you for speaking with us. Hello Paras, it's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. You have already lived uh, uh, in different parts of the world. You have also a lot of experience in education and in sports coaching, mm-hmm. more than 15 years. What is it that brought you to the International Montessori School in Berlin? Yes, that's a very good question. Um, in terms of coming to Berlin, uh, I wanted to experience living in another European capital, uh, learning a new language and a new culture. Uh, I previously lived and worked as a teacher in Australia, America and England, where I'm from, from London. Um, I've worked at various international schools, both English-speaking and bilingual German and English schools. Uh, these were mainly ones that taught the Cambridge English curriculum. However, in the last few years, I've been interested in and studying about the Montessori school approach. And I now work at the Montessori school in Berlin. So that's how I arrived at this school. Okay. I have an IT background and um, yeah, while doing some research on Montessori system, I, re- I found out that the, you know, the founders of uh, Google and Amazon also went through this method. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that was really impressive for me. So I wonder like, um, yeah, what is the Montessori method all about? And I mean, what makes it so special? Yeah, for sure. And in, in a simple way to explain, um, it has a few main features. I would say the first one is child focused. So we always think of the child first and look from their eyes upwards. Uh, So it's a bottom-up approach from the child connected with the teacher and their learning rather than a top-down approach that's common in other schools with a preset curriculum based on standardized tests for all the children at the same time. Um, Second aspect is that the classrooms have mixed age groups. So, for example, at our international school in Vanzay, we have children from grade 1, 2 and 3 in the same group, so they're six, seven, eight-year-olds together. And in the other grades, we have the grade four, five, six students. They're nine, ten, eleven-year-olds mixed together. Um, this has a few benefits. Uh, for the younger children, they can learn from the older children and clearly see their next learning steps. So they can uh, look at the older children and think, okay, in a couple of weeks' time, that could be something I could try. And they can visually see their next learning, which is very powerful. And then also for the older children, it gives them lots of time to learn social skills of teaching others and also to reflect on their own learning so they can go back and revisit a concept and this helps cement it in their long-term memory. So this solidifying of concepts is very important in Montessori. It's not a race from a 100-meter sprint from A to B that the children can go back and relearn something and reteach other children. And this is a very natural way that humans learn as we forget maybe 20% of what we learned, so when we go back, then we can recap, and that helps us. Okay, that's really uh, very interesting, and actually that sounds very different from also, like you said, from the normal state school system. Um, yeah, I mean, I wonder, so you mentioned different aspects in, like, for example, yeah, this focus on the uh, on the child and also this uh, learning across classes. Mm-hmm. Um, how... How do you think that uh, this approach supports the development of a child? 
Yeah, for sure. Um, the, the benefit of this approach is that the children are working on their current individual level. So we have some children, they come maybe to the school from Hong Kong or they come from Australia or they're from a German background, but they'll always be working on their actual learning level. So they don't suddenly need to be doing textbook five in German if they've just arrived in Germany. Um, for example, another benefit, a child in grade one who's quite advanced, if they could already do, say, their 12 times 12 timetables, then they don't need to wait for all the other grade one children before they can go to the next task. They can be given a, a harder task once they've mastered the 12 times 12. So this way you can extend the learning much faster And those children who are very quick don't, are not held back. And those children who need a bit more time, they can have an extra two or three days to learn the concept properly before having to race ahead and be tested against the other children. So this is really beneficial for the children because we talk about learning jumps and springs and a child might need two or three more days for that to happen and they're given this time so that their learning actually takes place and it doesn't have holes or gaps where they're trying to just jump and uh, keep up with the other children. Um, the last part that's very good is that we, um, we're not confined by like an average standard. So if you say all, all year sevens must do this or they can only do this, we can actually think above that. If a year seven is particularly gifted, then they can push beyond and they can work with the eight-year-old, nine-year-old students. And they can always be pushing themselves further with a new challenge. Okay, that's, yeah, that makes sense. Also, um, in terms of like other aspects, which you said, like, for example, the, that it's not 100% so uh, like structured, like in mm -hmm. state schools, that the students get some sort of... Uh, um, freedom to um, to basically pick something that they are interested in. I wonder. I mean, does that always work? So, for example, some children are only interested in some subjects. Like maybe someone is interested in mathematics, but they are mm -hmm. not interested in history, or vice versa. Mm -hmm. So, how how do you make sure that yeah, such students, for example, um, Yeah, also basically make progress in, in school. Yeah, that's a very good question and one that we often hear. Um, firstly, I would say in the Montessori approach, we don't view learning as solely separate individual subjects. So math, science and English to be taught in blocks of time. So one hour, one hour, one hour. Instead, we view learning more holistically. So it's more of an integrated approach. Uh, so, for example, we use topic-based learning and lots of group project stimulations whereby all the subjects are needed to complete a task. So a child might need some math skills and some English skills and some uh, German skills to help complete the task. So this way we can offer a balanced curriculum, but they're using the skills when they need them and not just because the clock says 9 to 10 o'clock. Mm -hmm. And this actually is a more natural way of learning, which is really nice for the children. Um, secondly, the personalized learning of each student is taken into account. So, for example, if student A was particularly interested in um, horses and student B was particularly interested in, say, dinosaurs, we can use this initial motivation to help drive the learning. For example, both students, they could learn about the different body parts of the creature, um, the history of the creature, they could write some stories about them, they could research maybe the food chain, 
or the evolutional history of the creature. And this way they can be doing some maths, some English, some German and project, but based around their interest. So this helps them cover their skills, but keeps their motivation high, which actually produces a better result than, say, 20 children having to do a project about unicorns if you know only three of them actually are interested in unicorns. So that, this is how we in, integrate that. And also we have a, a skill book we use with the children, and this has maths, English, and German, and the project worked in different areas. And we always refer to these skill books every couple of weeks, but I can explain more about that a little later. Okay. Okay. And um, do students, for example, uh, get graded for all the work that they do here? Yeah, it's interesting. The, normally in Montessori, we don't view children as numbers, or like one to a hundred, or A, B, C, or one to six. So we don't give out official grades to the children, and even on their reports, we use uh, handwritten statements. So, for example, Tom can count one to twenty in maps. This kind of statements, um, but we do um, when they do a presentation, etc., or they perform a group task. We do have a, a, a observation sheet that we use, and we give them our own grades as a teacher, and we keep this information for ourselves. And we use this as like more a progress check to see if they can do the skill rather than putting the skill then into a number of like one to six in Germany, they do, or one to a hundred. So we, we view the children more in skill development than in numbers and grades. Okay. I mean, that's very interesting actually coming, I mean, yeah, coming from India, I, you know, grades were everything I felt. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So you basically use these, uh, the, kind of information, this, these grades, for just for yourself, but you don't share them with the children. And that's how you kind of, um, yeah, sort of evaluate the process and the, the progress of the child and also give them some sort of constructive feedback. For sure. That's a really nice point, the constructive feedback. Yeah. For example, we don't like to rank the children in the best in the class and the worst in the class. We see every child as different levels. Um, what we use is we have a skill, a student skill book. And within this skill book, we have the main competencies or skills they need for their, their year level. So, for example, a year one student, we might have a written statement that says, I can visually and verbally show my ability to count to one to 20. So that's the skill. But then we give the children a chance to show that in different contexts. So they could verbally say that via a, po a podcast or speaking with a the teacher. They could visually draw that or they could make it from materials. So they have different ways to show their skill. And once they've shown their skill, then the student and teacher, we have one-on-one -on -one conferences every three or four weeks where the student sits with the teacher and they go through some of their skills, so two or three skills they're working on. And the student then has time to show the teacher, can they do that skill? And these one-on-one -on -one conferences are very powerful because you can reinforce if there's a misunderstanding And the children can then also show the teacher without the pressure of a test that they actually know their skill. And the last thing what we like to do is once a child's mastered a skill, then we get them to reteach it often to a younger child. And this process of reteaching a skill, if you can teach someone else a skill, then we know you've mastered the skill and it will actually stay in your long-term memory and not just be learned for five weeks for a test and then forgotten about which is sometimes common at other school systems. 
So this is also very powerful for the, the children. And then the last thing with the skill book is we have the children with the same teacher for three years. So they work through this skill book for three years so they know where they're heading and what skills they need to do. And this can be very insightful if a child is struggling in a certain aspect, then the teacher can be aware of this and the children can have more time on this aspect and we can make special materials to help with this special aspect, which stops them getting frustrated or hitting a brick wall with their learning. Yeah, those are very interesting points. Thank you. So um, we, you already mentioned that um, yeah, learning takes place across different classes. And of course, you also mentioned some of the advantages. Um, I wonder, does this also, for example, from a teacher's point of view, does this pose some special demands on the teacher? Because suddenly you have children of different age groups who are together. Yeah. Does that happen? Yeah, that's a very good question. You would imagine it would be very difficult for the teacher. There's so many different children, different age levels. But actually, the Montessori teachers, they've been trained in this aspect. And their main goal is to prepare the learning environment. So by that, I mean the classroom is prepared before the children come in. So the teachers and the students know the materials very well. And then they know the next level of a material. So, for example, when the children have mastered counting 1 to 20, then the student can be shown the next material by the teacher. So, for example, counting from 20 to 100. And then the teacher knows these materials well, will show the student for one or two days, and then let the student have some practice time with these materials. And then the teacher can go to another student and look at their level and the the teacher's like a informed guide on the side. So they move around the classroom looking for the learning leaps or the learning jumps, as we call them in German. And when they see one's close, then they can come over to the student and ask them some questions and see if the learning jump has taken place. So this way, the teacher's freed up from just standing at the front of the classroom for 40, 50 minutes, giving lots of presentations. And they can actually capture the real in the in the now learning they can see ah it's this child's just about to be ready and now i can come over and ask my question and that's the real time the children need the help and that's much better than 50 children only three of them listening to a presentation the other children looking out the window or saying i already know this why do i need to do it again yeah that's also very interesting thank you so in terms of I mean, you explain these different aspects and each one of them um, has its own advantages. Um, I wonder, I mean, my main concern would be my, my son or my daughter, for example, is maybe not uh, someone who is very more motivated, like let's say motivated by themselves. They are not a, like a self-learner or an independent learner. learner. Mm -hmm. Do you think that um, such kids also have a place in your school or is, the, is it mainly um, yeah, a, a school or, or a system for independent learners? Yeah, that's a very, uh, I would say, delicate question to answer. Every child is slightly different. Um, often when childs come to the school, they can develop these skills. Um, but mainly we look for three key traits that children, if they have, it really helps them. So the first one would be, as you, as you mentioned, that the, the children are independent learners. So they'll, if they finish a task, they won't just be happy to count, say, 1 to 10. They'll be thinking, ah, now I can count 10 to 20. 
So they have that inner drive to push themselves to the next challenge. But the teachers also can teach that to the children because they can quickly then show them the next step and show, oh, this is the next phase. Would you like to try? You can have two or three days to try. So we can develop that. If a child doesn't have that, that's one of the things we try to develop. Um, the next thing would be that the children who don't give up easily. So we always enforce the concept that actually making mistakes like trial and error is a very valuable process of learning. So, um, for example, the, the, the man who invented the light bulb, I think he did 1000 tries and he said every time he got something wrong, he learned something new. And that helped him. He didn't just give up. So we tried to develop a, I can try again later, or I could try tomorrow attitude. And this persistence really helps the children. But if they don't have that when they begin, this is something they can quickly develop because the other children in the class have been shown this persistence and they can model that behavior for the new children. So this is also important. Uh, I would say also another thing I noticed, especially in the modern fast-paced world we live in, is children have self-confidence to make eye contact with other people and the teachers and to have empathy for others. A big part of Montessori is to have empathy to help other children. So these are the three areas that we work on a daily basis with the children to have this core inner drive to improve, um, to have the confidence to take risks and, and see failure as learning and not as a, a mistake. Um, and yeah, we have um, different children who come and we have good results of 99% of the children, I would say. Um, but one very important aspect also is the mindset of the parents that come. It's very important. I always talk with the parents that they have to have an open mindset and see learning as a journey. It's not just from A to B, but there's a little side road or we might spend two or three days here and that we're looking to foster the interest and curiosity of the child. Um, parents have a kind of fixed mindset, so they see learning perhaps only as marks on a test or I need these results to get to the next level of education then that mindset is not so well suited to Montessori. So this is normally the, the difference between the, the parents and students that come to our school and the ones that maybe are better in a different uh, learning structure. Yeah, that's true. I mean, I think the parents, parents also need to have this kind of an open mindset. For sure, yes. We always speak about a triangle of the parents, the teacher and the student, and the triangle needs to be connected and be thinking in a similar way, and that helps then the development of everybody. Um, and now we are um, in this beautiful historic building, building <laughs> in a very, very beautiful, beautiful area of Berlin, um, and at your at your school. And your school is called the Inter International Montessori School. Um, so, what is the significance behind the name International Montessori School? Yeah, thank thank you for asking. Uh, the international part is due to the fact that our learning community, so our teachers, students, and parents are made up of a variety of people from different countries and cultural backgrounds. Uh, this is an aspect I really enjoy about our school. Uh, we like to celebrate the diversity and we often do cultural project weeks whereby the families are invited to come into the school and share their knowledge about their culture. They might read some stories with the children and yeah, they've taught us some different dances and they always bring in some nice food which I particularly enjoy. And it's just a really nice way for the children to learn from different people and cultures.
And uh, your school is also a, a bilingual school, mm -hmm. right? So uh, kids learn both German and English. Mm -hmm. How important is it for a child to know uh, German or English? Uh, so, for example, if a child doesn't know German or if a child doesn't know English, can they still find a place in your school? Mm, yeah, um, in general, it's better if the students have at least a basic understanding of English or German before they start. For example, um, can I go to the toilet or stop? That's dangerous. So just a basic understanding. This helps them the first couple of weeks to integrate with the new students and teachers. Um, However, we have had students from Spanish-speaking backgrounds that didn't speak any English or German to begin with. But within six to nine months, they, were all, they got to a, a good level in both. Um, these students were very motivated and the parents helped them at home. I sent them some uh, learning CDs and some extra work. Um, but it is possible for children who don't have English or German to come to our school. And if they have the right attitude and uh, determination to learn, within the first year, then they can successfully work in English and German. Um, we have a special uh, German program for non-German speakers. So we have some students from Australia and America that come. So they go in a special group to learn German, like a beginner's group. So they're not under pressure to compete with the, the native German children on a, on a test or something. And also we have some lots of German students who are beginning in English. So they're grouped in a different English group for English time. So we, we put the children in the groups based on their needs and their learning level. So then each child learns the second language at the right pace and not pressured by keeping up with the other children. And uh, does your school also have any other uh, focus? So for example, um, in music or sports? Yeah, our school, um, our secondary focus of a school is uh, nature and outdoor education. Uh, we're very lucky we have two qualified nature educationalists and they take the students every week to the forest, which is just a one minute walk from the school. And there they learn about the plants and the, 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 the local environment and the birds and the trees, etc. And we also have a lake, which is a two minute walk from the school. And there we bring the children to learn about the, the, the pollution of the water and also for our art lessons. It's a nice place we bring the children. It's an inspiring place for them to draw their pictures and be surrounded by nature. We also have our own vegetable garden and each class then grows their own vegetables and they learn about the, the cycle of the, the spring and the winter time, etc. So yeah, the nature is our main secondary focus. That's very nice. <laughs> and so the International Montessori School is a primary school. Mm -hmm. um, what happens after that? So what happens uh, when the child has to go to a secondary school? Yeah, in, in Berlin, there are a, a wide variety of state and private secondary schools. Um, some Montessori ones and some have a Montessori background. Uh, there's also bilingual international schools. So these follow maybe the Cambridge English curriculum, but the children also learn German parallel. So these are good options for the students. Um, our students from year six, they go to a range of these schools. Um, our goal as a school is to prepare the children to be flexible learners so that they can adapt in different environments. So some choose to go to English German international school and they, they do very well there because their language level is good. And some continue with the Montessori approach. 
And this way they can follow their um, individualized learning and group projects. And they're also very happy at these schools. Um, yeah, Berlin has lots of good schools. I always recommend the parents to do their research and make sure the school fits your child and your family. And yeah, when the parents come to our school, this is also something we do. We take two days of hospitation with the children. Sometimes we take one extra week if we need to check a little bit more. And then we make sure everybody's happy with the decision and that the student will fit our school and also the family that our school will fit their needs. And that way, then when they begin, then everybody's on the same page and the learning for the child uh, is not hindered in, in different ways. Okay, so if someone is interested in school, in, the, in your school, they could come for this hospitation. For sure. And uh, then mutually there could be a decision, okay, and then after that. Uh, for sure, yeah, we invite them for a two days hospitation. I personally do the hospitations because I view it so valuable to the schools. So I take, I took on this role. The first day the children will be with me. I'll assess their English and German, some of their motoric skills, so catching and, and throwing, some of their balance and coordination, their social skills, how they interact with other children. The second day, then we'll place them in one of our classrooms for three hours from nine to 12 o'clock, and then we'll view how they are with the other children, uh, how's their connection with the teacher, can they understand the Montessori materials, etc. And based on this this information, then we can speak with the family and, and take the next steps if they're interested. Okay. And when the hospitation takes place, this information is there on your website, for example? Is it? For sure, yeah. We have um, open evenings that are there. And also the parents can email us and say we're interested in joining the school. They fill in a form uh, as a registration form. And then we'll contact them back as soon as possible and say in the next three weeks we have a hospitation. We'd like to invite you to come. And then you can come and then we'll begin the process. Great. <laughs> yeah, uh, thank you very much, uh, James, uh, for sharing all this information and for all your uh, insights about this topic of Montessori method in Germany. Um, that's all, folks. Uh, remember to subscribe to our podcast and check out our blog at india2germany.com. See you in the next episode. Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye.